1: That's Blue Nile.com. You are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. My name is Cora Gurnan. I created the space for women to share all of the details surrounding their pregnancy, labour, birth and everything in between without feeling shy about the detail. Sit back and enjoy over 100 hours of birth stories told by you, the listeners. Enjoy. Hello there. I hope you're all enjoying the bank holiday weekend. This week, I'm sharing a really gorgeous episode. But before I dive into the details surrounding Charter Stories, I want to just let you know that I will be sharing details on a new podcast sponsor that we have called KiwiCo, and it will be in the middle of the episode from for the next couple of months. So if you don't want to hear the ads, you can sign up to Patreon where you can hear the episodes on a Friday and are completely ad free. But you can hear details on how to, on all about KiwiCo in the middle of this week's episode. So Charda shares two incredible birth stories. She had she was a young mother. She had her first little girl at 19 and she then went on to have her second child when she was 22. Beautiful stories. Uh, a lot of honesty which is really nice as as it always is to hear. She was supported by her friend and her mum with her first birth experience and incredible midwives and she shares some really nice moments just being physically held by these women who supported her as she birthed her little girl. Gave me goosebumps on a number of occasions. And she then went on to share her second birth story, which was at home. Again, just had a blanket of support around her. She lives completely off grid. So she shares her, like giving birth to her baby, uh, in candlelight. Her little brother came in and blessed her with an eagle eagle feather on her tummy and she shares a picture of that over on the Instagram page. Just some really beautiful moments and she is an incredible storyteller so I felt like I was really being treated. I just sat back and I listened to her speak to me, chat to me for two hours about some really beautiful experiences. So enjoy this week's episode. There's so much in it crank it up because there's a few, some of the internet connection was a bit dodgy here and there, um, but I've done my best with it. Crank it up the volume because it is a bit low, but enjoy, enjoy. It's gorgeous. And I will chat to you next week with a new episode. Charda, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Toys podcast.
2: Thank you. I'm very excited to be here.
1: Do you want to just begin by giving us a little introduction to you and your lovely family and then we'll talk about your birth toys.
2: Okay, so um, my name is Charda. And I am 22, and I live at home here with my partner, Reese and our two girls. So Violet, who will be three next month, and Ebony, who turned one at the very end of January. Um, I also kind of live in a sort of semi-detached situation with uh, my mother's family. and um, You know, we're separate, but together at the same time, you know, different kitchens, but visiting back and forth the whole time, so... And that's kind of our setup.
1: So will we talk about your first pregnancy, and then we'll dive into the birth of your first little girl?
2: Oh, wow. Um, I wish I'd like revise a little bit before this, but I became pregnant um the August after my leaving search, and um, it was a surprise. Um, Mm And but it was a pleasant surprise and one that I was fully willing to go through. So um, I told obviously my family and my parents and um, yeah, I had, honestly, the midwives that I had at the time described as as a textbook pregnancy, um, you know, everything went completely according to how it should, let's say. Mm -hmm. And um, there were no complications I was very happy I was um in a really good place and um
1: I'm sorry how did you discover you were pregnant did you feel symptoms or did you have a missed period or how did you find out
2: so essentially I wasn't obviously not on birth control and um I knew after having unprotected sex that there was a chance because afterwards I I counted the days and I was like, oh, that was not wise. And I had actually seen a friend of mine who was actually almost due her baby at that time. And um, I said to her, hey, so I think I, I might be pregnant possibly. And she said to me, well, if in two weeks your boobs hurt, you'll know. And, um, two weeks later on the dot, I woke up and it was my mom's 42nd birthday. And, uh, I was like, Oh, my boobs are like, they've never felt like this before. And I was doing my period and it didn't come. And after three days I was like, this is it. I was, I was right. This is pregnancy. And, um, and I knew it was a girl as well. And I was right about that. And, um, yeah, so I told my mother, and she she took it in her stride I think mm-hmm. um although I suppose in her own words at the time she'd seen a lot of doors closing for me and it took her a little while before she could see the amount of doors that were actually opening for me mm-hmm. and so we took um I or rather I took pregnancy test with her at our local graveyard <laughs> no doubt and um We just sat there. It was it was the 3rd of September, which was actually the day that my um, my friend who had been pregnant had her baby as well. So that was a nice coincidence for us. And um, yeah, and it was positive and I wasn't surprised. And she she just she said, congratulations, first of all. And then after that, yeah, I think I just had like the usual bits of nausea and I actually had a lot of round ligament pain um, is what I've heard it's been called. I was a bit surprised by Mm. that. And I think I was, um, I was a bit naive and afraid of having twins as well. I was like, I wasn't expecting to kind of be able to connect with a very small, not a bump, but a swelling um, so soon. So that made me feel afraid that maybe it was um, twins, but obviously that was just fanciful thinking and um now that i'm thinking about it, actually i have a beautiful memory of when i was 9 weeks pregnant i um i was doing some yoga because i decided to if i was going to give birth i would probably have to become a little bit more flexible especially if i wanted to give birth in the way that i intended to which was naturally mm-hmm. um i was Doing yoga, and I kind of turned half upside down. I was nine weeks pregnant, and I felt a flutter, and uh, that was very exciting for me. Mm-hmm. And I also have um, I have two small brothers who were born at home, and I was homeschooled at that time when I was a teenager. So they were born when I was thirteen and fifteen. So when I became pregnant, my youngest brother he was three. And, um, so for us, it was just a very natural progression of babies in the household, you know? So when he was four, he became an uncle and, um, my other brother was six. So yeah, that was just really natural
1: for us as a family. And how did you feel? I know you mentioned in your email, it would be nice to hear a story of, I suppose, pregnancy at such a young age from society's perspective I suppose but how did you feel then um I suppose around your friends and around your extended family um you know think, you know how, how did you feel?
2: I think with my extended family it was most of my I'm kind of estranged from my from my biological father's side and then my stepfather and my mother are both Dutch so all of our extended family are in the Netherlands. So it's not like we're seeing them very regularly, you know, Um, although I do think that having having a Dutch family, it's very common um, and and very accepted to just um, have abortions um, at that age. So I think my family were a little bit surprised that I didn't go that route Um, and it wasn't something that I didn't consider. I did consider it, um, but I felt I felt ready to be a mother. I all I knew I wanted to be a mother since I was 12. And I just thought um I was gonna take a gap year anyway. So I thought I might as well take a gap several years. Um and I suppose my grandmother she does live here, and she was just over the moon that she was gonna be a great grandmother. So I I recognized that as a young mother, I had I was in a very lucky supportive situation, you know, mm. um there was not a single person that i that I actually cared about that said to me, "What are you doing um and you know there were a couple couple of my peers that were a bit like, "You're throwing your life away, and I just learned to distance myself from people like that because um I don't think they would have been good friends in the long run, mm. and um. Actually, the, the I have a very close friend who, um, she was the first person I, I told I was pregnant. I called her right after I took the test. And um, I actually asked if she could be my birth partner um, when the time came. And she was, and it was her and my mother, who was a homeopath and a doula. And we, well, she became a doula, in fact, because of my pregnancy. That was kind of her, mm. she kind of became a grandmother and a doula at the same time. And um, so I had Violet, Um I turned 19 during the pregnancy, and um, I had her when I was 19 in the hospital. I did originally want a home birth, mm. um, but I called um, the local HSE midwives at 18 weeks, and there was no availability. Um, so I didn't get to go down that route. But looking back, I don't really think having a hospital birth or having a home birth would have made a difference because of the experience I did have in the hospital, which was, yeah, it could have been at home essentially because I had a 15-hour labor and went into the hospital because my contractions were coming on fairly quickly and fairly strong. My friend who was going to be my birth partner she had arrived at our house um she she actually um she went to her employer and said hey i'm going to be a a a birth partner for for my best friend who is having a baby i need to take leave from work um because i need to be there and um her employer you know looking at this 18 year old girl like i don't know what to do here so she actually gave her a uh, paternity leave. Um, oh,
1: that's that's really that's. Yeah, I'm surprised. I thought you were going to say they're like, yeah, OK.
2: No, um, she, she didn't. <laughs> get, brilliant. She didn't get paid for the, the time off, but she did get the time off. Um so she got two weeks and I think she got to stay like almost a week after the birth as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. She so thinks- did you guys
1: prepare together? Did you did you look at? I don't know. Did you read books or did you recommend that she read books or anything like that?
2: Okay, basically, I I was just trying to stay in this sort of blissful zone towards the end of my pregnancy, you know. Um, I read, personally, I read a couple of books, the main one being The Positive Birth Book by Millie Hill. And I got a lot out of that um, because it, or was it The Positive Birth Plan book? I'm not sure. But anyway, it really taught me how to, write my birth plan which I feel like was my strongest asset going into the hospital when I did because um I also ran it by a a retired community midwife that I know from my local breastfeeding support group which I have actually been attending since I was 13 um because of my brothers and having been homeschooled yeah of course yeah. yeah exactly I did take a bit of a break then when I did go do the leaving search but then you know um I was back in there at 18 um so it's very familiar with me there I know everyone there um so I was running my birth plan by them and everybody was giving me just points and tips and I really felt like it was uh, my birth plan was very strong and I was very proud of it but but I think for my for my friend Rebea um I think what she mostly did was she had conversations with my mom, who was obviously, she's given birth four times. Two of those were at home and the other two were natural. Um, So my mother, and also being a homeopath, she they asked me questions about how I felt and then they mm-hmm. kind of made a plan around what my choices were. And they also, they went through... I would go to bed early because I was super tired and they would sit downstairs and the evening I went actually into labor. They had actually had a little glass of wine as well. They were like, Oh God, nine days over. I don't know when this baby's going to come. We're just sitting here waiting every night. Let's just relax and have a glass of wine. So they were going through the birth plan like they did every night after my due date and um, becoming really like as familiar with it as I was and um just talking about any sort of eventualities that might happen or how to kind of stay firm and respectful but grounded in a hospital setting those kind of things obviously I was not there for those conversations because I was resting but that's what they said they were up to and um, I felt it made all the difference you know they were really they communicated a lot and they had a good friendship as well so I felt like um That really, that really supported me when I eventually did Mm, go into labour.
1: So what were your first signs of going into labour?
2: So I'd had Braxton Hicks coming up to, you know, my due date. I was nine days over, like I said, and um, I actually had an appointment on um, on my on my 10th day overdue at the hospital with my consultant to talk about induction which was not my plan I was just going to go there listen to what the consultant had to say and then just politely say that's not the route I plan to take and thank you obviously this was pre covid when I was able to have someone there as well or even more than one person there if I felt like it mm. so But that's not what happened. I went into labor and uh, what happened was I was lying in bed and I heard in the room next door, my friend going up to sleep. So I was like, oh, great. And I felt a very strong Braxton Hicks. And I was like, oh, could that have been a contraction? I don't really know. And then I had another one like quite soon. And. I had this contraction counter on my phone, but I didn't want to get my hopes up. I was really kind of nervous about getting my hopes up. So I think I had another one at that point and I thought, all right, this is not how it's been going so far. I feel like, a, I feel a like an internal rhythm. I, I think the best thing I could describe it was, is like, like the way that the, the waves pull up onto the shore and then fade back out again, you know? And I, I thought to myself, if I can, predict when the next one is going to happen then I will go to the next next door and and wake them up so sure enough the next contraction came and I knew exactly when it was going to be and exactly when it was going to reach the point and exactly when it was going to come down again and I said this is it um and I started just kind of pacing my room I don't know at this point I was already like just listen to your body do what you need to do so I was just pacing in my room and then I went into my friend and I said, it's go time. And she mm-hmm. ran downstairs to my mom and said, it's go time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we had um a granny, bless her. She had, she had actually recently broken her leg. But what that meant was we were able to get the loan of her car, which my mom was insured on. So we didn't have to leave my the rest of my family at home without the car. So... My my hospital bag was already in there. It was now like I went into labor at pretty much exactly half past 12 at night. And we took a fair while getting into the hospital. You know, for me, it felt like we just went normal, rate, right? But my mom says that that was the slowest trip she ever took into town. And um, so we got in the car. I was just having contractions basically every two minutes, which... I was doing on the contraction counter but at this point now when by the time we got into the car which was like just half an hour later I was not able to the phone I was not able to press the button do the counting not that I was just like in the zone and I wasn't prepared for and time. were you sorry
1: were you in the zone or did you feel like it was really intense really painful or did you feel like you had you felt in control
2: I definitely felt in control yeah okay um I had done when I was younger, when I was, you know, growing up, my mother would do a lot of kind of meditations with us and just sort of visualization. So for me, that was very easy to do and gave me a lot of, it kind of gave me something to hold on to, somewhere where my mind could go so my body could just do what it needed to do. Um, I suppose I did listen to the hypnobirthing track that I actually got from the antenatal classes at the hospital. Um, I listened to it once. And I fell asleep during it, but I basically think it was a version of that, just kind of Mm -hmm. visualizing all of my muscles opening, myself being relaxed. And so, yeah, I think definitely for that labor, I felt very in control for the whole thing. Maybe, you know, around that kind of transition phase, I think there was a moment where I was like, oh, but Mm. definitely on the drive into hospital, I was good. Um so yeah we were in the car going there and gosh what happened then yeah we arrived at the hospital we did actually have a friend who had um we live almost an hour out of town so a friend had um well we asked her and she said i'd be honored to have kind of her house which is also an airbnb uh which is very near the hospital that i could kind of labor in until we deemed that it was like time to go to the hospital um, because we'd heard that, you know, driving can kind of slow down labor. So we we wanted to make sure that it could sort of pick back up again. So I didn't really have to go into the pre-labor ward. Um, our, my personal preference was to just go straight into the labor ward. And if I wasn't going to go straight into the labor ward, I was just going to take the five minutes back to the Airbnb. Um, but my contractions were coming in so fast and the, and the the car journey had not stopped anything at all. We just went straight into the hospital and I think at this point it's like 2 AM and we get there and I get into triage and there's a midwife there, very lovely. And she said that in order to admit me to the labor ward, she would have to give me a vaginal examination, which on my breast plan, I did say that it was a, that I was requesting vaginal examinations on maternal request only, but that's not how it went. Although I do feel I like she did give me time and I thought about it and I said, okay, well, well, I'll do it. So I got up on the thing and she gave me the vaginal examination and I must say, I, I didn't like it. It was, I think all the vaginal examinations that I had were the definitely the lowest point. And I know that's saying a lot. I was really lucky that they were the lowest points of, of the labor. Um, in my second, I didn't have any at all because it was home birth and it was not necessary. So it was good to have that contrast. But anyway, I was, she said that my cervix was very favorable. It was very thin. She said it was paper thin in in fact, and that I was. She didn't say only. So she said I was two centimeters dilated, and she said usually we wouldn't admit people under three centimeters to the labor ward. But it's quiet. Your labor is progressing. You're clearly having contractions. Head on in. And she also said, "Would you like me to run your bath?" So I said, um, "I before I went into labor, I thought I'll not get into the bath for love nor money. I didn't really think that that would provide me with any comfort." didn't imagine me being into it. But then when I was there, I was like, oh, that sounds great. Please put me in the bath. So I think throughout my entire labor then, which, like I said, was 15 hours, I think I got in and out of the bath, which was in a separate room, seven times for maybe 15 minutes to half an hour at a time. Um, Obviously, kind of time was warped at a point. So that's sort of what I, I'm guessing um, it didn't feel like a lifetime and it didn't feel short, but yeah, the midwives were great in that sense. They would, because you know, they, ha- they have to let the bath empty and sterilize it every time in case another woman wants to use it, so they were really on the ball. Um, for that, I think I just if I said bath, they were it was ready, it was full. Um, yeah, and it was available, which was lucky, but um. And then that midwife's shift ended. And another midwife shift started at about 7 a.m. So I was just walking around going on the what do they call the yoga balls. I was just doing everything and anything that I could to feel comfortable, basically. It wasn't a sense of it feels good. It was just feeling Anything to feel less uncomfortable because it was, I mean, it was labor. It was painful, Um, but I wasn't afraid of pain. I had kind of dealt with the thought of being afraid of pain um, before birth. And I felt like I was able to cope. I felt like even at this point I was in control, but it was progressing. Anyway, the other midwife, she came on to her shift and this would be the midwife that was there when I delivered the baby as well. Um, Violet, the baby. (laughs) Um, I do remember I went to the toilet at one point for a pee and I wiped and I was like, what is that? And it was the mucus plug, Um, which I remember at the moment at the time being quite impressed with, um, you know, just this lot of kind of gloopy stuff. Um, but it was also re- um kind of it felt good to me to see it because it made me know that I was I was doing it, you know, it was happening, the baby was coming, I every contraction was taking me a step closer. And I just continued like that in the bath, out of the bath, hanging off my mother, hanging off Rebeia Rebea was just I don't know what came over her, but there was some strength in her, you know, like she she held me through that entire labor. Like, like I, I, I don't know. I was bearing down on her. Like, I don't know. Some strength came out of me, you know, the way it is it's labor, it does something to you. So, but she, she was able for it. And my mom as well. Sometimes the two of them together had to hold me and I'm not a, I'm not a tall person, but um yeah, the two of them together, they had to, had to hold me up and it was very comforting. And Yeah, and then it got really light. It was May, and baby was born. She was born at, I think, 18 minutes past three in the day. So it was like the light was really pouring in. And, oh, actually, at this point then, about, I think, two hours before I gave birth, they were were obviously, like, every four hours or five hours or so, they were checking my Dilation, and it had kind of my cervix had sort of swollen at one point because I had sort of pushed too early, because I seemed to have transitioned to the midwife and my mother. They had thought that I entered transitioned, and they had kind of said to me, like, you know, listen to your body. If you feel the need to push, you can and me being already at this point like done with labor wanting it to wanting to reach the finish line i thought well if the professional thinks that it's time like i'm gonna go for it so i i pushed a little bit and i think that caused my cervix to swell slightly so then after she she then um, also noticed she there was a student midwife there as well who actually um caught violet and it was her first catch as well so that was quite special And she was the same age as myself as well, being a second year student. And um, they noticed that the baby, they could see the kicks in the front. So they could tell that the baby was, what do you call it? OA, OP, whichever one is sunny side up. And um, so they knew that baby, to come out a little bit easier, would have to have some time to turn. Um, Unless, of course, I know women do birth like that, but... So they knew that it wasn't quite time yet. And I got in the bath at that point. And I think after that, I was a bit demoralized. You know, I was like, I thought this was it. I think i had been 13 hours in labor at this point. I was like, I thought this was it. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been in control for a long time. I felt like I was doing good. I thought I felt like I deserved this, like finally getting there. Um, so I w- I became quite delusional at this point, really, and not with it. Um, Although I i wasn't I wasn't exactly in my right mind throughout the whole labor, you know, I was very cavewoman-esque, let's say. I was just communicating in, in grunts, which my friend Rebea completely translated for the whole birth team the whole time. Um, I was very hot and very flushed throughout the labor. So I, I got a lot of comfort from sitting in the warm bath and having constant, refreshed, cold towels all over my face and shoulders and belly and um, sometimes I would just my mom would ask like hey do you need another cold towel although I think at one point it just turned into cold question mark (laughs) and then I would just grunt and my mom would look at my friend and she would translate so that's kind of how it went it was like my mom my friend me and then of course the baby so Yes, but anyway, at this, I had pushed and it wasn't time. I was at five centimeters and my cervix was swollen and I knew what I had to do was relax. So I tried my best to relax in the bath, but I guess I was upset, really. And I think at this point, the midwife, she said, I have to offer you, even though it was on my birth plan to not be offered pain medication, which they didn't do only at this one point, Um she offered me pethidine, which I took a long time to decide whether I wanted to take it or not. And in between contractions, I asked her as many questions as I could think of, which were not exactly um clever questions. <laughs> Looking back, it was, I just couldn't think properly. So it took me a long time to, to make a decision. But in the end, I she's I said like what will I experience if I first I was all about the baby what will the baby experience if I take pethidine and she was telling me and she was telling me um you know if the baby is born very soon after you take the pethidine then we will possibly have to aid the baby to breathe slightly because I felt like I was going to give birth in the next twenty minutes um you know okay. I was like this is happening isn't it. Um, but then she said, but, you know, the pathogen will wear off after about, I think it was an hour, an hour and a half. And I said, are you kidding me? I'm not going to do this for another hour. I think at that point I had throughout the labor, I became very indifferent towards the baby. If I'm honest, like I didn't get any comfort of of thinking of every contraction is bringing me closer to the baby. I want to meet the baby. I didn't have any of that, which I was a bit surprised by, but it's just the way it was. Um, if somebody had said to me at that point, like, do you, I remember thinking, if somebody just makes this end now, you can just have the baby. Um, I was very indifferent to it. I just wanted it to be over.
1: Oh, so, yeah, um, no, it's really, that's so relatable.
2: <laughs> and I think that that was definitely like my, my lowest point during the labour, and then the midwife said to me, "She said because I was so tired, so tired, and I had kind of been throwing up, and my my waters had broken um, at this point as well. I, I was coming out of the bath, back into the room. Every time I left the room as well, they completely opened all the windows because it was very hot, and they turned on this very noisy fan machine. But they only did it when I wasn't in the room." when I was in the bath and then the second that I came back they would turn it off but they wanted to keep it cool for me um I didn't know this at the time I only found that out afterwards but it was it was um really polite and professional I thought and yeah I was coming out of the bath and I came through the double doors and in this particular labor ward you can see right right down from one end where the bath is to the end where you know you first come in and I said I'm gonna throw up again. So the midwife went to go get a a bag for me to throw up in. And when she came back, I threw up into it. it It's quite a long one. It reached maybe like past my belly. So I vomited, and it was just water at this point. Like that's all I had really. I didn't want to eat or anything. And it hit the bottom of the bag. And as it hit the bottom of the bag, my waters burst like all over the floor. Like like three meters squared on the floor. And it was completely and they were a very clear waters, which was um great. Was happy about that because then you know there was yeah. no complications there. But my mom actually thought that the bag had burst on burst, it. yeah. <laughs> it's like, what a concoction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that but I was at the time, I was also thinking, like, imagine if someone's coming in the other end of the labor ward right now at this very moment. That would have been, I wish that that could have been filmed. But because I was standing up, you know, um, I was just holding on to my mum and my friend while vomiting and water's breaking. It was an amazing experience. I know it sounds so strange, but it was amazing. Um, but back to the pethidine, the midwife, had, I said, how will the pethidine affect me? And she said, well, you might feel drowsy. You might have a little rest. And I said, give it to me. I want to rest. Mm. <laughs> and she said, okay. So I went into the labor room again. And they had, you know, the peanut ball. I put that in between my legs. They put cold towels on my head. They put pef- the injection pethidine into my thigh. And I remember having contractions, like waking up for contractions. But basically, I slept for like, I think it was two hours. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was was 13 hours when I took the pethidine and then it was like 15 hours when the pethidine wore off. And at that point, a doctor came into the room for the first time Um, she was a female doctor. So she came in and I remember the midwife, she's sitting on the, you know, the cub, which I liked Mm -hmm. because it was cold plastic and I could just put the cold on my face. And anyway, the doctor came in and I was still kind of starting to wake up and And my mom said she was a bit angry that the doctor was talking to me when I was soaking up the last bits of rest before, you know, the final literal push. Anyway, she came in and she said some things about, you know, if you're not dilated, we'll have to consider interventions and that kind of thing. Then she left and they closed the door and it was very much so a closing the door on that. We'll just deal with what's in front of us now. We didn't even know what was happening. You know, I just like slept for the last two hours. And that also gave um, my mum and Rebea a bit of time to breathe as well. Even though Rebea actually, I had had her hand held right up against my face on this side. And I was crushing it. Like I almost broke her hand for two hours. And then her other hand was like, stretched all the way down by my knee because the peanut ball I didn't feel was opening my legs enough to be comfortable so she just stood with her arms one hand being crushed and the other hand holding up my leg for like two hours so maybe she didn't get much rest but um that was pretty heroic of her I thought and so yeah the pethidine wore off and I was awake and I had a vaginal examination and. the midwife i remember i think her her. i think she was still inside of me and she said your cervix is gone and the baby has descended by like three inches and i didn't because i was under the influence of the pethidine, i never actually felt the baby come through my cervix the, like the head that is mm-hmm. um And that's definitely something that I I marked a massive difference with between my first and second births. Mm -hmm. So then basically I was bearing down and it was, um, I think I, I was actively pushing for about half an hour to 45 minutes. First, I tried sort of on the bed on all fours. We had, um, when I entered the room, the, the first, like the first hour of entering the room, um all those hours ago we just pumped the bed right up as high as it could go to kind of treat it more like a table that I could hang off as opposed to you know a bed to lay on um so it was really and we had bent it like you know so that it was more like an armchair and I was leaning on it and um I was I recognized at the time I was sort of avoiding the pain by sort of twisting my body during contractions and bearing down And the midwife, she just very calmly said, can I give you a pointer? And um, I had asked Mm. on my on my birth plan not to be coached or guided, Um, you know, just for fear of (laughs) um, (laughs) just for fear of being, um, you know, like, you know, the Hollywood movies, like push, push or being told that I was a good girl or anything like that. I was not interested in any of that. So that's what I had on my birth plan, and but she said, "Can I give you a, a gentle like advice?" And I said, "Yes." So she took just—I think it was just one finger—and she placed it on the base of my spine. I couldn't see her. She placed it, and she said, "Push to here, and try and keep your body straight when you're having the contraction." And I did what she said, and it was definitely more painful but more effective. Mm. And I think at that point then I decided like I can't be in this position anymore. It's not comfortable anymore. I need to find a different position. So I came off the bed, and the bed being very high was like kind of, um say under my breasts, but like above my bump level. So I was leaning over that and standing. so I I would squat sort of in between contractions for a rest. And then as I had a contraction, I would rise up and my legs would straighten. But also I was bearing down so hard that my friend had to sort of hold my arms on the bed so that I wouldn't just ricochet off back. Um, And I think Violet, she had, I pushed and her head came out to like just above, say, the widest part of the head. And um, and I remember the midwife, she said to me, what you're feeling now, because then the contraction ended, she said, what you're feeling now is what we call the ring of fire. And it's the widest part of the baby's head. And I think that was her way of encouraging me that like it was gonna get easier from now on. But I knew at the time that what was happening it was just before the ring of fire. I don't know how I knew, but I knew that it was just before the widest part of the head. So I thought to myself, there's no way that I'm getting stuck between contractions with the baby at the ring of fire. (laughs) So on the next contraction, I really like I gave it welly and I just birthed her whole head from there then in one go. And then I had another contraction and her whole body was born and I had another Mm. whole load of waters um, come out and the, um, the student midwife caught her. And my mom, my friend couldn't see because she was holding me and so was the bed. And, but my mom and midwife were just kind of, for my mom, she said that it was like, my friend was 18 supporting me who was 19 and the 20 year old midwife was catching the baby. And
1: I've goosebumps. That is just so cool. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, that's what my mom (laughs) said. It was and actually my midwife, she was um, she was a pretty cool woman, actually. At this point, I was because I was, you know, giving birth in a natural position, it wasn't exactly she couldn't see very comfortably. So she actually just completely laid herself on the floor and just kind of propped herself up by her elbow, just looking up, very relaxed, very calm, just having a look um and obviously at some point another midwife came in I had never seen I never knew she was there um she was gone before I could even have noticed so that I did not feel that interruption at all um but I I do remember get while in those final stages of pushing there was like a red emergency cord all the way on the other side of the room and um, there was like little holes in the cords and I just picked one and I looked at that and nothing else. And I just, I just mm-hmm. stared at the one point as I was giving birth because I just needed something to focus on. And um, and what I hadn't been prepared for, what I never considered is that when you birth a baby for the first time, someone else is holding the baby, but you're still connected to it. So for the first time, I didn't have freedom of movement that I had previously had. You know, I couldn't just walk wherever I wanted to. Like someone behind me that I couldn't see was attached to me from the cord, you know, coming out of me. So and I was standing and the baby was like, you know, she was kneeling on the floor with the baby. So, I mean, this is all split seconds, but I was just like, what do we do? (laughs) And I was wearing this night dress and I wanted to have skin on skin. So I was like, get this off of me. So we um, we took that off, and somehow that I was I was nervous about slipping on all the fluid that had come out of me as well. But those the midwives, you know, they're great. They they whipped all that away in like three seconds, and um, and then I think I was kind of comes in flashes now, you know. I was on the bed and I was holding the baby, and I was just like. I think it took me a little while before I could really connect with it. You know, I was just like, I did it. I did it. And I was like, I did it naturally. I did it standing. I did it exactly the way I wanted to. And the sun is shining and my baby's here. And she was completely perfect and healthy and um, just looking at us. And, um, you know, I had my mom on, on my left and my friend on the right And um, I already knew the name. And at this point, the midwife asked me what the name was, and we told her. And um, yeah, it was just perfect, really. And I just felt very victorious that on the first first time teenage pregnancy, I'd really achieved what we're told to believe is difficult. Mm -hmm. And um, then basically just although of course the placenta was born of course so I did latch the baby on breastfeeding was definitely something I wanted to do and I still do breastfeed both my girls um so I started I wouldn't say I was breastfeeding but I brought her to the breast at any rate yeah um, yeah she was definitely interested in it and I can't remember her crying I think she did cry at some point but then the plus it was obviously time for the placenta to come, and I had reject—I not rejected, but I had declined the syntocin injection to aid the birth of the placenta. Mm-hmm. But my midwife she said, um, she asked, "Can I can I feel if the placenta has detached from the womb?" And I said, "Go on," because I was completely like myself again. The baby came out, and I was like able to speak word communicate <laughs> yeah exactly what happened was i got into the bed and the pillow wasn't exactly comfortable behind me we brought my own pillow from home and i was like oh rubeya would you just lift that ever so slightly and they all just looked at me like wow she speaks <laughs> 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 um, and my mom had said to everyone else "She's like everybody this is Charta. <laughs> uh, i've been spending like 12 hours together and um but anyway, she felt for the for the placenta and it had detached. And she asked if she could um, guide it out by the cord ever so slightly. So she did. She pulled from the cord. And um, for with the birth in the placenta, it felt for a split second, like I was giving birth to another head and then it was done. It was just over in like yeah. a split second. And um, it was my wish to not only have delayed cord clamping, but to... Delay cord clamping until after a physiological third stage, which happened. You know, I just birthed the placenta with the aid of my midwife, but naturally. And then we left the cord for a long time. And then at one point, um, you know, my midwife, she said, if we kind of hold, like I was holding the baby in my arms and she lifted the bucket with the placenta up to, say, my elbow, um, because she wanted to help gravity to let the rest of the blood, you know, go into the baby. And uh, then before we cut the cord, she milked the blood into the baby, the last couple drops. Mm -hmm. And then my best friend, um, she cut the cord, which she had requested um, to do. And I was like, please do. Mm -hmm. So that was that. And then the midwife said, um, maybe your mom can hold the baby for a little while because we need to do your stitches. And I said, what? I tore for real, <laughs> I didn't even know this was like maybe twenty minutes, half an hour to an hour after birth, and I didn't even—I couldn't even tell. I was on such a high, I didn't notice that my vagina had tore open. Like I think that speaks for itself. Um, but it was between—I say a first and second degree tear, and it wasn't so bad. But um, getting the stitches done was not exactly comfortable. Um especially because you don't have those, you know, natural hormonal kind of pain killers happening. So that was a bit stingy, let's say. And, um, but I was, I was, it was a little bit uncomfortable to walk, but I did walk um, home basically to the car because I self-discharged four hours after birth. Um, I, I, I had kind of left it open. For if I had wanted to stay on the ward or not I knew that it was a, mm-hmm. a choice I could make um, but you know the weather was amazing I had had the birth of my dreams and um, my dad had actually when we sent the text out saying like the baby's been born my dad just like rocked straight up to the hospital was waiting mm-hmm. outside and um, yeah I went outside and my dad, who was trans, she said, um, she said, What do you want? What do you need? And I said, Could you just pick me up a vegetarian burger and bring it to the house? And she was mm-hmm. like, I'm on it. So that was kind of like they gave me the tea and toast, but it wasn't exactly the experience that you know, people I've heard people talk about, but the burger was definitely like the most epic meal I've ever had. Um you know, and and we, ha- we had had no sleep the night before either because I went into labor as soon as everybody went to bed. So we'd been up for, I, can't, I don't even know how many hours, but many. So everybody was very tired and very happy. But anyway, I self-discharged from the hospital and um, the, the doctor who had been on the ward when I gave birth had just ended her shift. And she was going home. And the, the doctor had just come onto the shift, had gone straight into a C-section, and we didn't know long how long that would take or what they'd have to do afterwards. So my midwife she actually um ran out to the car park and got the doctor and and asked her to come back into the hospital to sign my papers so that I could leave. Um so <laughs> the moment she was she was signing the the papers so that I could just you know go, she was like, I don't know what you're doing but obviously something special is going on here if I've come all the way like I was gonna go home and now I'm still here signing you out so yeah that was a very lucky moment but yeah four hours after giving birth I was um back at home in my postpartum room where I was cared for for the full 40 days um by my mom mother and she because obviously she she also has young sons she had Mm -hmm. we met a woman who was going to do the Camino in where is it staying not sure and um when she heard that I was going to have a baby and she's she's a she's a trained like nanny you know childminder, and she Mm -hmm. said um all right well the Camino can wait I'll just stay here and Isinsa, that's the name of my mother. I'll mind your boys so that you can take care of Charda. And that's what happened. Like she stayed for the full 40 days and she took care of my brothers so that my mother could take care of me and um, help me establish breastfeeding. And, you know, every single day she would come in and basically just give me nursing care. You know, she would Mm -hmm. check the latch because, you know, she's also trained breastfeeding supporter. And, um, she'd run me a little bath um for the you know stitches and just general cleanliness and put herbs in it and give me homeopathic remedies, and just spend time with me and bring me food and put the baby to sleep if I wanted her to and she did, she did that for i say solid thirty days, and then continued for another thirty, but at that point, I kind of started taking back not taking back, but having a bit more of my own sort of independence and I was sleeping up in my upstairs bedroom at that point um I, I didn't want to do the stairs every day I just stayed in the kitchen um it was an empty kitchen so which is now my own family kitchen so um yeah so I just did that for 40 days and um and we just moved on from there that was and do you one? feel
1: like those 40 days kind of gave you, I suppose, time with baby, which a lot of us, I think like thinking back to my first, I didn't give myself that time with my second, I certainly did. And I nearly, that's something that I wish I did um, do first time around. But you feel like you really got some like nice time to study baby, to get to know each other. Just basically, without any distractions, just to settle into our motherhood, I suppose.
2: Definitely. I mean, mm. how could you? How could you imagine saying otherwise? But I think, I think what's so unique about my experience is that I never experienced otherwise. A lot of mm. women, like in your own case, they experience this this first occasion of not giving themselves the time, not giving themselves the space, not giving themselves a break. You know, my own mother, she has. 24 hours after giving birth she had to go to the bank and do a check and go to the shop and you know take care of me Mm. and um you know she she suffered from that subsequently and but I never had that experience so when people ask me questions like that it's hard for me to compare that makes Mm. sense because for me that's just normal and I think it should be normal for everyone
1: yeah yeah, 100% um, agree.
2: But yes, I definitely got to know my baby and we spent, actually we spent every moment together then until, um, I mean, we spent a couple hours away from each other here and there. But um, the first time I spent a night away from her was the night that her sister was born um, when she was 20 months old, which, of course, we, we went through the pandemic. There wasn't much getting away from baby then either, mm. but um yeah, that was, that was, um, that was us. We were a team. And at that time I was also single. So it was really like me and her starting a family and, um, yeah. Yeah. It was a really special time. I, I also just, just because it was the time of year, there was just always a sunlight and it really helped with, you know, those kind of early days of jaundice and I could sit outside in the sun if I wanted to. And with my baby, And just be comfortable. We were just comfortable and we were comfortable together and we slept together. And um, that's just the way I think it just nothing changed between us. We just started off as we intended to continue.
1: I just want to take a moment to introduce you to our new podcast sponsors, KiwiCo. So especially with Oliver, I found play actually quite challenging. I wasn't sure if the play that I was doing with him was developmentally what he needed and um, I was actually quite anxious about it and I really needed someone to give me guidance um, and make me move away from researching things um, to kind of take that aspect out of it and create something for me to sit down and enjoy with him. So this is pretty much what KiwiCo do and they have created the Panda Crate. So the Panda Crate is basically a subscription service for play essentials designed just for babies and toddlers aged between 0 to 24 months. So it's created by play experts at KiwiCo in partnership with Seattle Children's Hospital. Panda Crate is thoughtfully designed with care to stimulate your baby's brain development through play. Panda Crate is a science-backed, research-based approach to play and recognises that there's more to babyhood than just the milestones. Panda Crate is designed to support child-led play and open-ended exploration because every child is different. Every path is unique and each twist and turn and bump in this journey is an opportunity for connection, discovery and learning. Something that I loved about the the Panda Crate was the gorgeous wooden toys and it was really well explained as well. So one of the crates that we got had loads of animals in it, which was really nice because Eva in particular is crazy about animals. So I found that she really connected and interacted with the kit, the crate itself. So it was brilliant how it works. So Panda Crate is a subscription service timed to your child's particular age and stage with shipments every other month. Each crate includes two months worth of play products and activities along with helpful resources and play inspiration for parents too, which in all honesty is what I have always needed and still do need to this day. Whether you are a first time parent or not, Panda Crate provides a way to simplify the early years with just right products to support your baby's rapid development in the first two years of life. So something that definitely kind of takes the stress and anxiety out of thinking, am I creating the right play environment for my child, especially during those two years of lots of sleepless nights? Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping with code I-R-E, Birth at kiwico.com. That's 30% off your first month at kiwico.com with promo code I-R-E, Birth. Now, on to the rest of this week's episode. Enjoy. So, will we move um, on to your second pregnancy?
2: Yes. Okay. Hopefully, I'll be able to be maybe a bit more concise. <laughs> um, so, my second pregnancy, I Violet had just turned one, and I had had four periods. So, she, I got my period back when she was about five months old, and they were kind of forty days apart. And um, while I was pregnant with Violet, I had met this man who is now my partner, Reese, and um, he actually emigrated from Cornwall. At the very start of the pandemic, because um, well, I was afraid, and I was like, "You're not staying in another country with pandemic? (laughs) Come here right now!" So he did that, and uh, he did. I think it was two weeks quarantine in um, what we call the roundhouse. It's out on the land, but it's completely kind of self-sustained building. And um, he stayed there for two weeks, and then he came out of the quarantine. And even though I was probably incorrectly using the diaphragm, my next ovulation, I was solidly pregnant. This was a month after Violet turned, or actually around the time that Violet turned one. And it was a massive shock for me because I didn't think that I would have another unplanned pregnancy. That was not part of my plan. I really thought, you know, I have a partner now. We're raising our child together. We're going to have planned pregnancies. Everything's going to go, you know, like the right way from now on. And I was I was really not comfortable with another pregnancy so soon, especially because I was still breastfeeding my first child. She'd only turned one. Mm-hmm. This was not the age gap that I had wished for. I was just having a lot of concerns. And I felt that the kind of, you know, even though I wasn't seeing them physically, when I kind of told people, you know, with the phone and stuff that I was having another baby, they would be so like so happy for me and just immediately congratulating. Whereas my experience with my first pregnancy was usually a bit of like a furrowed brow and a, are you okay? How are you feeling? What are you going to do? Whereas that time I was like over the moon, happy, excited. The second time I was getting this excited feeling from other people, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to go through this pregnancy. And um, I sat with it for a long time. And then I actually just, made the same choice that I did with the first child. And I thought life comes when life comes. I was always going to have another child. Why not now? So, at, um, you know, I did the, actually I took the pregnancy test in the graveyard again and um it was positive. I've only ever taken positive tests in graveyards. All the other ones have been negative. Um so i took another positive test and i think three days later i before i even called my gp i called the midwife um because i was like i'm not getting stuck again i and especially with the restrictions and i knew about those i was like i am not having a hospital birth this time i thought i know what i'm doing now and i'm going to do it the way
0: that's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
2: I originally wanted to. So I called the midwife, and it was the same one that I called the last time. And she answered the phone and she just said, Hello, Charda. And I was like, How do you know my name? And she said, I saved you my phone from the last time. How are you? I was like, Wow, okay, cool. And I told her that I was expecting another baby and she congratulated me and she said, "Um, call me back after your 12-week scan and I'll, you know, but basically you have a place with me. So I was over the moon happy with that. And so then I had the 12-week scan and um, I had that alone, which was a new experience for me. And... I was kind of okay, but it was my partner's first time becoming a biological father. So it was hard for him. You know, he was waiting across the road in a cafe with our first child, just waiting to hear, you know, because obviously the first one you never, I knew that everything was kind of okay, but you don't really know. No. And they said to me that everything looked perfect, except that the one thing that they remarked on was that I had a small hematoma subcarionic hematoma. Okay. And I had no idea what that was, but they said it was a minor bleed and they said it was nothing to worry about. So I said, okay, nothing to worry about. They said, um, have you bled at all during your pregnancy so far? And I said, nope. And they said, well, you might expect a little bit of blood. You just, uh, you know, if there's a lot of blood or if it's very bright, do call or come in. I knew all these things anyway. But I think. I remember having the ultrasound and, you know, they, they have to kind of push relatively hard with the stick or whatever it's called. And I remember thinking like, well, if this doesn't cause me to bleed, I don't know what will. Um, Cause they were pushing so hard. And then two, I think it was just two days later I woke up and I had that feeling like, you know, when you wake up and you've got your period and you just know, I knew yeah. I was like, there's blood there. So I looked, And it was a very small amount of very dark blood. So looking back, not really anything to be concerned about, considering they told me that there was this small hematoma, um, which I had then obviously, after I found the blood, I was like, oh my God, what is this? What is happening to me? And then I found out that there was this um, massive kind of risk around hematomas and them growing, and um, it feels so long ago now I can't really remember, but I do remember for this pregnancy that was really like the beginning of the, the permanent anxiety that I felt for the rest of the pregnancy. Um because I just felt like, like there was something really wrong about bleeding when you're pregnant. And also mm. on some level I felt a lot of guilt for not really feeling ready for this pregnancy and not really sure if I wanted to continue with it. Um And I felt like maybe that like my thoughts had caused me to start having a miscarriage and I didn't want that. Um, And, you know, obviously I just try and hold some compassion for myself now. But at the time that was a really hard um, thing to kind of think about, you know, and yeah, I felt quite alone then. And my partner, he was really trying to support me because, you know, I was told by the midwives, I called them just rest try to relax. So that's what I did. But I mean, try to tell someone to relax when they think they're losing their babies. Like it's not very easy. Um, and also, you know, you had people cause I was still breastfeeding my first child telling me that that was going to cause miscarriage and things like that, which I know is not based on any evidence, but yeah, so I was quite afraid and I think the bleeding stopped It was very minimal, like really very minimal, like barely any spotting, very dark blood. But I was afraid and it stopped. And then I think I did bleed again another time at like 14 weeks or something. And then from about 14 weeks to my 20 week scan, everything was pretty fine. You know, I was just, I mean, my partner and I, we had a bit of a, we had some troubles then because, um, Well, we just kind of forced ourselves to live essentially with my parents and him becoming a father to my first child for the first time in a pandemic when we hardly spend more than like four or five occasions with each other in person because he emigrated. We were under a lot of stress. So we were not getting on that at that time. But then kind of came my 20 week scan, which I think was around Chris. No, it was much before. It was like September, September 2020. And I had the scan alone again. And the woman who was scanning me, she said, um, she started asking me about like the weight of my last baby. And Violet, she was um she was like three and a half kilos exactly. So that's like two points off eight pounds. Um, so she was like a fair size baby for a first baby, especially considering yeah. that I was only five eleven when I was born. You know, that's very standard for you know Dutch continental babies which is like my genes and um she said that my baby was a bit small and she was going to book me in for another test or another scan in two weeks to check its growth and I didn't really think anything of this I was like babies are small sometimes whatever and My mom, I remember I told her at the time and basically her, her like radar was up. She was like being very kind of suspicious of the system. She was like, don't, she was almost like, don't go to it. Like just trust your body. You know that there's nothing wrong with this baby. If they put like a red flag on your file, they're going to just push you and push you and push you and push you until you are afraid and agree to things that you don't want to agree to. So looking back, I was very much so like, just another scan. It's fine. Um, and part of me was kind of happy to like get to see the baby another time. So I went to the scan again and basically it was just, I ended up having a total of 14 scans and from week 20 to week 38 and Doppler's so we had the scans bi-weekly and the dopplers every week um, so that was in, in and out over Christmas during a pandemic into the one hour drive into town and I, I still I hopefully have a license soon but I was relying on my mother to drive me um, you know I'd have to find you know if my partner was working somebody else would have to mind my child or I'd have to bring her every week into town and it was just It was a hard time. And as well as that, um, basically, I was being told that my baby was small for gestational age. And on the kind of growth centiles, she was, we didn't know that it was a girl at this time, that baby was, um, it wasn't so much that she was, she wasn't sticking to her own sort of curve. She was fluctuating on the curves. Like they said, you know, if your baby was on the ninth centile, but was always on the ninth centile, That wouldn't be a concern. Um, I am a bit skeptical about how they were measuring my baby. It was usually a different person Um, until the end. It was usually the same person at the end, but it was often a different machine. And um, there was one time that I was just a bit peeved off with the whole thing that I'd say, like, I'm not going to go for the weekly doppler. I'm not I don't want to do that. And she wrote it on my file. And then she told me that my baby had significantly dropped in weight and that my baby was like losing weight in the womb. And I was like, I believed it all um, because, you know, better safe than sorry, right? You know, and um, essentially I lost my home birth at 20 weeks and I was heartbroken. My mom was heartbroken and we were preparing for. All. I mean, my partner was also heartbroken with the restrictions. You know, it was really, I think we could have coped if it was, if the restrictions hadn't been there, but they were, and we were not comfortable with them. I mean, I don't think anyone was. So basically I just spent the entire latter half of my pregnancy feeling like the fight or flight or freeze. You know, I was just permanently on the verge of a panic attack like, um, my mom would say it to me, she was like, my pupils were like constantly big all the time. I couldn't, I had no kind of emotional barrier. Everything just went in. Everything was just causing me to freak out. And, um, I was, you know, kind of, my consultant was not really willing to go along with anything that I was suggesting or saying. And, um, my consultant at one point said that I went in one day with like my little piece of paper with all the points that I was going to make this time about, you know, I will be having a home birth because you haven't actually got, you haven't taken into consideration the fact that I was a small baby, the fact that this is a different father. Um, and also you haven't kind of said, let's wait and see how it progresses. You just immediately told me they were talking about induction. From the get go, like they were like, oh, your placenta is just probably not giving your baby enough nutrients. Um, so at, say, 38 weeks, we'll probably have to induce you to make sure that your placenta doesn't like die and stop providing baby. And then you'd have like an emergency. So they're trying to tell me that induction was like a better option than cesarean. when I, And I was still like dreaming of a home birth you know um so I went in one day and I was like I've got my piece of paper I'm going to tell him all about you know the reason I think I should still have a home birth conversation with him about it so I said can we talk about the home birth for a moment and he said um oh I think we can both agree that a home birth is just completely off the charts and we didn't talk about it again and after that point I think I I lost faith in communication with him and whenever I was in his office, which he didn't really show up to our appointments very regularly, even though I was going into the hospital every week. Um, and which, you know, I mean, it was like a three hour waiting and then then for like 10 minutes of an appointment and then another hour waiting and then a half an hour with a consultant and then a drive one hour in and one hour out. It was a massive chunk out of my life. And I was just missing like the enjoyable parts of my pregnancy. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't able to enjoy it. So I really do feel like my pregnancy sort of robbed of me at that point. And it was over Christmas as well. You know, I had a I had a scan on Christmas Eve. I had a scan on New Year's Eve. And then just like all the way through, you know. And at one point, I remember saying to my doctor or my um, consultant, he he said that he wanted me to go for a doctor weekly for the first time. And I said, you know, what is that? What does it do? And he said, oh, well, a Doppler is when we check the, the, the blood flow from the placenta to the baby to see how much baby's getting. And I was like, and what would be concerning? And he said, well, say for instance, if you walk down there right now and we looked at the Doppler and the blood was not going the right way, then we'd be talking delivery within 24 hours. And me being like 28 weeks pregnant, I said, but you won't be able to induce me because I'm only 28 weeks pregnant. And he said, oh, no, I'm not talking about induction. I mean, you'd have a C-section within 24 hours. We just admit you immediately and you would not have time to see your family. You would not have time to explain it to anyone. It would just be immediate. And I recognize now that that was actually a kind of a threat and a method to make me feel afraid and the method to make me more pliable. And I did become more pliable because I was afraid. <laughs> it's like you're, when you're pregnant and afraid, you just you just go with what you you know the professionals are telling you. Right? Or at least I did. Um, but all the while the woman who, the the HSC home birth midwife, she while she was no longer cover or like like being paid to see me or visit me, she still kept in contact with me. And she still tried to advocate for my home birth as much as possible. She even went on call with me, video called to talk to my consultant at one of my appointments. And um, at that point, she realized that there maybe wasn't much hope in communicating with him as well. Um, but then, when I was thirty-eight weeks pregnant, they had a scan, and my baby who had who had gone down to the fourth centile at the lowest. We went from like 18 to nine to four to nine to eight. You know, it was just kind of up and down, but the lowest at one point was four and I was just crying and crying and crying. And um, anyway, I had the 38 week scan and they said that this would be the last one because after this point it gets hard to measure baby properly and because it gets quite, quite cramped. So they said basically whatever The reading is for this one. This is the one that we're going to say that your baby will be born at. So this is the defining if your baby is small for gestational age, SGA or not. So I was a bit confused. I was like, if this is the defining one, why have I been coming in every week? I understand obviously it's to plot the curve, but that I was a bit like, so this is the one you're going to go off, even though I've been coming in every week. Anyway, the baby was on the 10th centile, which is... The, the the sonographer, she looked it up on her computer, i to stay around for ages, which is technically SGA is nine or under, you know, if the baby is on the 10th centile, they are technically not SGA. So I seen my consultant and he was like, okay, yeah, technically your baby is not SGA. And I was, I learned at this point, I just smiled and nodded. I was like, like, yeah 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 and um I got out of there and he, he had wrote on my file not SJ like I did not talk about home birth to him at this point like no way even though the second I got out of the hospital I sent a picture of the of the the report to my midwife and um she called me and she said do you still want to go for a home birth and I said hell yes I do and she said, let me talk to my higher-ups, and we'll see what we can do, so basically, I didn't hear anything much for, say, two weeks, although she did come to see me, and she measured me, and we talked about, you know, I was afraid that my baby was going to have to be an incubator, that I would have to be, you know, I don't, obviously, living off-grid, I don't have freezer, so I was thinking about pumping and storing milk and where would I store it and how would I get there and um how would I you know like an electric pump, pick up batteries, I was thinking about all of these things, whereas that was not a reality at all. And the day that I was 39 weeks pregnant, so again it was one week after this final scan, I got a message or not a message, a call from I can't remember exactly what her title is, but basically Head head woman from the home birthing um, midwives for the HSE. And she called me and she said, um, so yeah, your baby's technically not SGA, so that does make you eligible for home birth. She said, but in order to kind of keep a working relationship with your consultant, I can only sign you off technically without him knowing for one week so basically i had from the first day of my 39th week till my due date to give birth at home otherwise it would have been a hospital birth um who knows what that would be like you know Um, so this put me under extreme pressure like like i had one i was trying to just you know connect with the fact that I was finally able to say, I'm not having an induction. I was finally able to say, baby comes when baby comes. Um, you know, I'm going to be able to birth this baby naturally. That was a big win for me and my family. Um, and and I was now thinking about even possibly home birth, which I was prepared for. I was prepared for both. I was prepared for everything. I did a lot of education about different types of induction, which my local hospital didn't provide the types of induction that I was asking for, like a Foley bomb and that kind of thing. And it was just, they were going to do it their way. And there was no other. My way it was not going to be part of their plan. Um, but yeah, so I had one week and I was like, okay, baby. Um, if you really want to be born in the hospital, let's do that. But if you want to be born at home, you have one week and I don't think I've hiked so much in my life. Mm. (laughs) It was January and on on the 17th of January is my own birthday. So I was just, uh, I just turned 21. I was full term expecting a second child and I was hiking up mountains in snow, like as fast as I could. I was doing everything that I felt comfortable with to try and cause this baby to come along while also trying to remain not too invested in it, even though I really was. Yeah. And, um, and then on, I think it was 39 weeks and eight days. No, not eight days. That's not the thing. Um, it was five days. That was it. five days over 39 weeks. I had an appointment at my midwife's house and she lives also an hour away. And we drove there, and it's a very bumpy road on the way there. And I was having, from 38 weeks, I was having so many Braxton Hicks, like many, especially when I was breastfeeding my older child as well. So we were driving on the bumpy road there, and the whole way there, we were talking about moonbreed sweeps, which was not something that I had ever kind of really considered doing because, excuse me, because um, most women that I'd heard talk about it said that it was kind of done without their consent and so I just had all these sort of horror stories about membrane sweeps and um, we spent that hour listening to all of my thoughts, doubts, pros, cons, weighed it all up thinking like if I didn't get it and the baby was born in hospital would I I regret not, not getting it? If I get it and it's uncomfortable and it doesn't work would I regret that? Which would I regret more? it was an intense conversation anyway my partner my mom in the car and my daughter and we arrived at the midwife and um I went for the membrane sweep in the end we pulled into her estate and my mom said all in favor of the membrane sweep raise your hand and say aye mm. and everyone in the car went aye <laughs> Except for <my> toddler. Violet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would have been funny um so we pulled in and I told her I said right I'm um, willing to go ahead with this and she had been sort of gently pushing um but very respectful of you know what my own ultimate decision would be and she was saying like usually if we do one membrane sweep we want to do another one sort of in a couple of days because that's most effective so she said um she had a bed in her office so I laid on the bed she had this super cozy blanket that she put over me and my mom was there in a chair and Reese was there in the chair and the toddler was there sitting on granny's lap. And she said, I'm just going to check see if your membrane or your cervix is like favorable. And she inserted her fingers and she said, um, yes, your cervix is definitely favorable. Although it was in some kind of a position that wasn't perfect at the time. Anyway, that changed later. But she said, If you're happy, I'll go ahead and do the membrane sweep. And she did. And I'll admit it was awful. Like, I mean, it doesn't compare to labor, but it was not an enjoyable experience. I remember just gripping the bed post above me and just bearing through it, which it didn't last very long, but it was definitely not comfortable. And that was it. I was with, like, my most loved people, a woman I really trusted, in her home, on a bed. And I was like, I can't imagine having this done, like, unconsensually in a hospital setting with a person you don't know. Um, so I was very grateful for the fact that I had a pretty okay experience with the membrane sweep. And then we, um, on the way home then, actually, actually, oh, backtrack. I had the membrane sweep and then I sat up on the edge of the bed and um, we gotten quite familiar with, mid- with midwives. So my mom and her, who were the same age-ish, they were just chatting. And I, I just kind of looked at my mom and I was like, we need to go home. Like, I just really need to be home right now. And my Braxton and Hicks, I was like, this feels different. I mean, it doesn't feel the same as last time. But something's a bit different. But again, I think more than even the first time I was so so concerned that i was getting my hopes up you know like i had two days left yeah before, yeah before the possibility of a hospital birth i was like is this just wishful thinking is this just me really wanting it to be like the membrane sweep worked how amazing would that be and i never actually heard a membrane sweep working story but anyway we, we pulled up at the gas station on the way home and um i i a friend of mine had called and she i called her back and i said um She said, oh, I'd stopped by your house, but you weren't there. I dropped off some clothes for Violet. And I said, oh, brilliant. And then I said, hey, come here. I just had a membrane sweep. Um, Did you ever have one? And she said, yeah, yeah. When I had my daughter, um, I'd been in labor for like a day and it wasn't really progressing. So they had given me one and it worked amazingly. And I had the baby in like an hour. It was brilliant. And I was really filled with this great feeling that like mm. I had a, a positive memories of story right after having one. um. Mm. so we drove home down the rickety roads an hour and we had to pull over several times because I needed to take a breather, you know, and none of us said, is this labor? We just said, let's just count the time and go home. You know, none of us said, is this it? None of us said... Um, You know, there was no rejoicing, you know what I mean? Like, even though it was a happy, happy thing, it was, we felt more afraid than we were preparing ourselves for the worst, even when it was actually happening. So I got home and even though I was really, really tired, because um, I think my toddler was still kind of waking up at night still, I was very tired. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to go for a nap. I don't want to fall asleep and for this to end. So I'm just going to walk some more. So I went onto our land because we have a bit of land and I walked and I walked this um, labyrinth that my stepdad has kind of mown into the grass. And, um, and I just kept walking and we were part of the, we run like a free peer to peer kind of pregnancy group here. And there was one woman who was also due at the same time. And she was like, um, lads, I've just, you know, done the deed with my fella, and I think I could be going into labor, like, how do you know? And, um, I was there, like, my mom and I, we, like, bounced off each other, and we were, like, trying to give her suggestions and things to do, um, it was a great distraction for myself, to be honest, at the time, to just think yeah. of someone else, and a woman who, you know, we had kind of traveled through our pregnancies together, and she had her own difficulties, and I had mine as well, so. We had that in common, even though she had uh, moved to a different county at this point, but, you know, we're still connecting. And I think it wasn't until, so we got home and say about three. And I think it wasn't until like at least nine, not nine o'clock at night, maybe six that I realized this was actually labor and like we had gone past the point of no return because with my first, mm. I didn't really have that kind of gentle first stage. And that was actually my wish for my second birth. I, I thought, you know, I would really like that sort of gentle first stage where everything just gets a little dreamy. And it's kind of contractions are happening, but we can still chat and have fun. And I had that, even though we were <laughs> we were frightened <laughs> that it wasn't going to go our way. Um, But the birth room was completely set up. Um. This is the room where I also had my postpartum um, with the 1st with mid-violet. So it was all ready to go, really. And um, it was starting to get dark. So I came inside and I remember feeling so tired. I thought I'd lie down for a while. But lying down made the contractions just so unbearable. I couldn't do it. And um, I think for me, a very poignant moment in this birth was I stood up. And I had a contraction and which is very not like me. Like I didn't cry when my first was born. I didn't cry during labor. I just burst down into tears of both. Like this is painful and this is happening and
1: happening. Yeah, of course.
2: Yeah. I was at home having my baby and my baby was helping and my partner was there. And, you know, my toddler was just like next door with my 17 year old sister. You know, like everything was everything was exactly how I had dreamed it would happen from the first moment that I knew that that baby was there, you know? Um, So it felt like, it felt like a fairy tale, you know? I think even weeks after the birth, we were like, that happened, you know? And, and, you know, the labor was much faster. Um, We called the midwife because we were like, it worked. The membranes, we've worked. Um, she's definitely in labour. I remember when we left her house earlier that day, she said, oh, I might see you later. And we were like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, maybe. Um, so she showed up at, say, six. And um, on her notes, she only counts the labour as starting then. But I felt like I'd been labouring since I had the memory sleep around like 1130 in the day. So, yeah, I was just, I was birthing away. I was doing, you know, the typical cow mooing set sounds i was and inside of cave woman this time cow sounds i've been told that i'm right and um my mom has this you know like a sling for a baby like this like three meter long cloth she got one of those when i was born and just for years because i was a very small child and we have this hook in the ceiling and we had um sort of attached it around the hook and then just a really big knot in the bottom and I got a lot of relief from that at the start. You know, I was just sort of swinging in it, hanging in it, um, and then I had a bath. I had loads of like my partner was feeding me you all know, this food that I loved, and my actually, um, how old was he then? He would have been five. I think it was five. My five-year-old brother he came in with this um, massive eagle feather that our land was, and he. Um, came into the room and you know living off-grid candles are very normal for us like i have a candle on right now but the whole place was just lit with candles and it's some fairy lights and i was in my kitchen and everything was just clean the way i liked it and he came in and he put the feather on my belly and he (laughs) basically just like blessed the space my little five-year-old brother and um I think he actually said, like, bless you and bless the baby. Then he left. <laughs> and then he left. I was like, Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was it. You know, um, I didn't know why he didn't come in, but um, I remember he I had a contraction when he was there and he was just looking at me like, Okay, that was a contraction. Yeah. And then he left. Because you know, we talked about these things at home as well. And um By the time that the midwife arrived, I was really in the throes of it. And I definitely did not feel as in control the second time as I did the first time. um, I think it was just more intense and different. It was just a different labor, really. I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be so different, really. Um, Like with my first, the the sensations were very all kind of around, like like very low down in my belly. Mm until they got to the point where it was my whole body, of course, that was feeling them. But it was, with this, it was very much so. I remember my hips were very painful and my lower back. And um, I was finding it much harder to find relief. And this this labor, because it was just, I guess, faster and more intense and almost unbelievable, I just have sort of flashes of what happened as opposed to like a full story so I remember I remember leaning over this pile of duvets when the midwife came in and I seen like the torch from her phone and her boots and I think there was a couple of exchanges of words but you know I requested that there was like you know respect for Mm. like in in my first birth no one ever chatted in the room that was on my birth plan and it was completely like no one spoke unless it was either about me or to me and if it was about me it was, you know, not long before it was brought to me. And um, so, yeah, it was just, I was just doing my thing. And then I remember I just, I was just so tired. I was, I was really exhausted and I kind of mm-hmm. wanted someone to offer me caffeine, which was my previous experience. But on another hand, I couldn't verbally ask for it. And it almost felt like there wasn't enough time, you know, not that the baby was coming soon, but the contractions were just kept happening. And I didn't really have time to verbalize anything. But I think like with this birth, my partner, you know, my male romantic partner was there and mm. not my best friend. And they were very different as birth partners. Like when, when I had my first, Rebea was like a very solid rock who understood me at like my most primal. And that was a really positive experience to have that with her and has, like, solidified our friendship for life. But then with Reese, he wasn't able to kind of... There was a couple of times where I really felt my my mind slipping into that sort of primal state and recognizing that he wasn't able to really understand me as quickly mm-hmm. as I would have liked him to be able to. Um, so I, I kind of stayed with my logic mind a little bit more than the last time but, the but what I did have and what I didn't expect because I um, sometimes I find like dif- difficulty when I'm in labour with with like closeness mm. I'm a, very much sort of like a please don't touch me unless I really ask you to person I was very pleasantly surprised that I really um, yeah had a totally relief from his presence um, which I, I, I hadn't expected at all I honestly thought that I would be that person like swatting a fly off me, you know, like, don't touch me. I'm a labor. <laughs> but I remember I was in the bath or something at one point. It's much, it's not like these labor baths, it's just our normal bath. And he, he left like very briefly to just go pee. And in that time I had a contraction and that contraction was so painful. I just called for him. I was like, like he was the pain, he was the pain relief for me. Mm. I I didn't, I wasn't able to really slip into that sort of primal space. I was able to recognize that I really got a lot of relief from him. And, um, and then I remember being in the bath and lying sideways in the bath. And, I remember being at Bath and thinking, I'm not in control of this. I'm not coping with these contractions. I remember physically, I was like lying on my side. And every time I had a contraction, I would like stretch my head away as far as I could from my body. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to experiencing it. I was just, I didn't want it. I was like, this is not happening. I didn't want it to happen. And I wasn't able to transform the pain into anything else it just felt every contraction was just worse and worse and worse and I thought this is not happening and I recognize now that that was 100% me transitioning and um my partner I was you know the bath was filling but I was already in it and he had this little um bowl and he would dip it into the water and pour it over my belly and my hips and the same as with the first he was holding my leg as well Um, because I got a lot of relief from a feeling of openness and he would like dip bowl into the water by my feet and then pour it over me I didn't know how to communicate this because I couldn't speak but the feeling of you know when the water moves when you put something in it like there were waves coming over to me and they were like they were hitting my vulva like it felt like a brick wall it was just a little bit of water but it was such a terrible experience, couldn't handle it. And I, I couldn't, I think at one point I snapped at him, but he didn't understand because, of course, he was gently scooping away, but <laughs> I was not into that. Um, And then the midwife, the second midwife was already here at this point as well, and I'd say it was probably nine o'clock or something, just labouring away. Um, At one point, I tried to lie down and sleep, because I was just not into it. <laughs> but, um, and I tried to have some leucoside support, which really helped me last time with the, with the first labor. Um, I just, after the more off with the first labor, I just guzzled half a bottle of leucoside support and pushed the baby out. But this time I thought the same thing would happen. It didn't. Um, I tried to rest. I couldn't. I thought that if I walked like as fast as I no obviously, people didn't understand that like I was doing my version of running while in labor but I was walking as fast as I could through the contractions in the room in circles because I got some relief from like powering through them with my legs I don't know but then the midwife came in where I was in the bath and she um she did the the doppler and she listened to the baby's heartbeat and you know we were keeping an eye out for you know bad signs because of all of the stuff that I've been told in my pregnancy, you know, there still was a slim chance that the baby could be born mm. small and that we would need to transfer. Um. So she said the baby's heart rate is elevated. And she said very, very strongly, um, but respectfully, we need to come out of the bath now. So I did. And um, it's because like, it was too hot, you know, the heat was just causing the baby's heart rate to be a bit elevated. So I came out of the bath and I stood up and I leaned with my knees on the edge of the bath and this rounded. So it was a bit dangerous. So I was leaning there with my knees, hanging on my partner, having a contraction and then a poo right into the bath. And obviously we all know that's an indicator of like things are going to happen soon. So I came out of the bath and they had um, put this, just coincidentally, like a red towel on the floor, so that I wouldn't, you know, drip everywhere. Cause the tile floor kind of slippy, and uh, it was like a red carpet, you know, in my in my imagination. I walked on this mm-hmm. red carpet with support, and then, I must have taken like two steps out of the bathroom, and um, and I had another contraction, and everybody around me went hey! and I realized that my waters had broke everywhere, and. Um, and they were clear and it sounded like, you know that like really like stereotypical waters breaking cork popping sound? I had that this time as well. Again, another waters breaking while standing up. And I just, I remember the feeling of warmth on my feet and everybody calling out before I even realized what was happening, obviously, because I was in the height of the contraction. And then I was in front of my cooker and I just basically from there, I just leaned over I just went on, I went on one knee, put my left knee down and I turned my right knee like as if I had been proposing, but then I turned it open to my right. And then my partner sort of, it's a very hard position to explain, but he sort of mirrored what I was doing, but a bit higher. So I was completely leaning over his, his right leg, thigh, and he was holding up my outturned knee with his hand because I just needed that little extra elevation for comfort. And um, then, and this is the point that I recognize very different between my first and second births, is that I felt I had a contraction and I felt the baby's head come through my cervix. And it was it was actually the most amazing feeling I've ever had. It was, I remember I uncontrollably called out, it's coming, it's coming. And um, I knew that, like, I knew what to do. It was very different from the first time where it was a little bit like, do we push now? How do I push? How long is this going to take? I've been at this for ages. And this time, I remember, that. like, a very distinct memory for me is um, it, was, it was warm. I was bursting, we were sweaty, because um, there's a stove in them, so it was quite toasty, it was January won't be warm. so my partner, he, um, my, my kind of leg was slipping out of his hand, say, just under my knee, and I don't know why, I really cherish this memory, it's like, without communicating, in between contractions, we both immediately, sort of, very gently reshuffled so that he, we, we both knew what was about to happen. We were both like, like this is getting ready, final, you know, baby's about to be born. This is the final preparation, you know. So we really were in position where I was in, he was, yeah. And I would have a contraction and the baby came down. And what I found most astonishing was that after my contraction had ended, my womb or diaphragm or something there, anyway, it would just sort of convulse and tighten and like that same sensation as when you you have like like a like you're vomiting and you have a gag reflex and your stomach just you know it was it was like having sort of several mini contractions in between contractions that were completely painless and they would just help baby descend and I could feel it all um and it was it was really amazing because I really felt like I could just almost feel my body do what it was doing instead of doing anything actively. And then sometimes a contraction would traction would come. I think I really had the baby in maybe four or five contractions, but contraction would come and the baby would come down. And sometimes I would push with it, sometimes it wouldn't. And sometimes when the contraction ended, I would let the baby sort of suck back in a little bit. And sometimes when the contraction ended, I would hold it there and wait for the next one and continue further. I was very intuitive about this this time around, and it was great, really. And I felt very in control for this last bit. And then um, we didn't know if it was a boy or girl. We decided to leave that a surprise. And then um, it was my wish that I would be – I talked about this with the midwife a lot before – but if possible, you know, I would like to be the one to catch my baby. And I said, mm. if, if that's not possible, I would like my partner to be the one to catch the baby. And obviously he was holding me. I was holding me. None of us were going to be able to catch the baby. So um, the midwife, she just sort of looked at my mom who was constantly running between like the kettle on the fire and the sink and, um, getting hot flannels, cold flannels, calendula, remedies, you know, doing her thing. She was just on the ball as per usual again. um, But unfortunately, I had managed to chosen the birthing spot right in between the stove and the sink. So she was with a hot kettle, having to like walk around the whole birthing scenario to get to the sink. So she was there with a hot kettle preparing for like the final cloth before birth. And the midwife just looked up at her very calmly and said, Jacinta, would you like to catch the baby? <laughs> oh. And my mom was just like, oh, uh, yes. <laughs> and her first thought was she was two rings. And her first thought was, I don't want the baby's first thing to touch be metal. So it was really warm in there. And she was like trying and trying to rip off these rings. And she finally managed to take them off. And she just chucked them onto the shelf. She caught the baby. The baby was born. And she remembered, she was the first person to see that it was another girl. And she had another granddaughter, which she was just over the moon about. And um, she didn't say anything at all. Actually, I think she did say something, but she immediately quieted her mouth and um, hoped that nobody had heard her. And she, she which was also my wish, I said, you know, if neither of us are able to catch the baby, just please like pass the baby to wherever is in front of me on the floor. You know, obviously, if there's a blanket or something. Mm-hmm and uh, just let me meet baby in my own time. So she did that. She passed the baby under my legs, and I, she was in front of me. And she had, like, a muslin cloth, the midwife just tenderly wrapped a little muslin cloth around, like, sort of the lower half of her body. So we really got to sort of meet her as a baby before connecting with the fact that she was a girl, because we did have a boy wish, because we have a girl. But obviously then when you have a girl, it doesn't matter anymore. But... um. We got to meet the and she was smaller than my first. I remember noticing that, and she was a different color and she looked like my partner. Um, even though she she was more fair than we had anticipated, and um and then I leaned back, you know, I was in this forward-facing position, and then I leaned back and I basically just leaned against my mother. She she basically caught the baby and then she caught me and um and myself and my partner we had a moment and we met our child and we realized it's a girl and we had a girl named and her name's ebony um which reese actually dreamed while i was pregnant so i picked her up and uh unlike my first she started bawling and crying and because i was still you know nursing every single day i just immediately latched her on like mm. like there was no i was like i'm not ready for um i didn't want to hear her cry it was just like for the first like i really like it did something for me i was like I was like reborn as a mother, you know.
3: Mm.
2: I was like really wanted to comfort her. So I latched her on and um and then my placenta just kind of oh no, it wasn't a placenta. I was bleeding quite heavily, that was it. I was bleeding quite heavily. I was just, you know, I think I was laughing with happiness that I did it. Um there's a very, very blurry, dark picture of me grinning like a maniac holding mm-hmm. the baby um, just naked on the floor. It was amazing. And the amazing thing is I actually gave birth in the room that my mother um, gave birth to my, say, older, younger brother as well. So, you know, we gave birth in the same room there. And I remember meeting her in there when I was 13, right after having the baby. And now I was like that person, you know, it was very kind of, you know, full circle for us. And anyway, I... Was bleeding quite a bit. Um, I mean, probably some other people bleed more, but anyway, it was a bit concerning to the midwife. So she, at this point, then, yeah, you know, first she aided me to birth to placenta in pretty much the exact same way that my first midwife did. You know, she asked me, "Can I feel if it's detached?" And it was. So like I said she aided it to mm-hmm. come out. That was all normal um well I did keep my placentas and we gave them air burials actually my stepdad gave them air burials so he wraps them in their own cord and then just hangs them in a tree outside our house and they just stay there until they're gone just from air or insects um there was one occasion where the cat almost got it but it was too far down the branch for him to be able to reach it um so the placenta was born, and my mother was holding the baby somewhere else, and we were yeah. dealing with the bleeding and see where it was coming from because obviously there was fear of hemorrhaging, and we were all thinking, "Oh wow, the baby was born at home, and we're still going to have to transfer." Um, you know that fear was still playing in us. It was really like unbelievable that I'd had the home birth. I, I can't even imagine. I can't even explain how much it felt like a myth that that had actually happened. So the placenta was born. I was bleeding. They wanted to find out where the bleeding was coming from, so I was still kind of on the floor, really under on top of blankets and stuff. But they were—I was trying to kind of hold the baby. Still, actually, at this point, and they were causing—they were forcing me to have these contractions, but basically, like needing my womb, um, because you had to cause another contraction to happen for the bleeding to happen for them to figure out it was like an internal vaginal bleed or through the hemorrhage is basically what they were trying to distinguish or at least that's what I think um, so they would cause this contraction to happen and then you know with head torches they would be, they, she had like this gauze that she would roll up into this massive tampon and then I don't really like to use this word but she would basically rummage inside of me to soak up the blood and then see where the blood was coming from like it's coming out of wherever and they had to do that again and, again and again and again and it was awful it was it was really painful um not not a pleasant experience like at all I would I don't ever want to go through that again but I understood that what had to be done what had to be done I said like I, th- I said to someone I think it was my partner I was like here, take a baby, and I said to midwife, like, would it be better if I would, like, relaxed while you do this? And she looked at me, and she was like, "Uh, if you could, yeah. And I remember just, like, if my legs were like this before, I just flopped them right down. (laughs) I was just, like, completely opened up, and I just completely, I was like, I don't, I was like, I want, I want to know if this is actually something I need to transfer for. So I'm going to just do my best to I just got back into that birthing zone and just completely relaxed my body as much as I possibly could. And she did it, I think another two times. And, um, I think they were like, they were like, I think it's going to be okay. The bleeding was sort of slowing down. And then at that point, um, they did give me the injection of simply something oxytocin, I don't really know. And and then I just, um, what's the most amazing thing I think about having home birth is that I think I had to move a meter and a half yeah. before I got to my bed. And I got into my bed and I stayed there for 40 days again. And I think another amazing thing about having home birth is that with my first child, it was so sunny, but, you know, in order to go home, I had to put the yeah. nappy on her and the clothes and the thing and that, and to the put her in the car seat and go in the car. I slept in the car home at first and um but this time I thought actually you know I don't need to put clothes on you straight away really do I you know and I really got to enjoy sort of just our human essence for a little while I I put on you know knickers and a pad but mm. the rest of we just stayed naked you know and um we slept like that because of the bleeding my partner was requested to stay downstairs with me for the night which I think he would have done anyway and um, then I think it was, I think we got maybe, I think we got three hours sleep, um, which is, you know, pretty good going, but that's the way it kind of happens after birth, I think. Um, and then I woke up because the baby mm-hmm. had peed on me and completely like a meconium pooed all over me as well. And this we have this, we have this picture of me just like, So happy to be pooed on by my baby. (laughs) Um, One of the such a strange, but one of the most blissful moments of my life. I was just like so pleased that she had like done that. Um, I was just completely smitten by her. And um, then the next day, of course, what is new about this time is that there was the big sibling. So, she basically she woke up in her in her aunt's room. Having slept with her the whole night, she came downstairs, had her breakfast with her granddad where, you know, she normally goes there for her second breakfast. Um, So that was completely kind of normal for her. And then she came over and um, what my mum had done when my younger brother was born, because I'm her first, was she had heard somewhere that when you um, have a second child and you're going to, you know, meet your first child for the first time after giving birth the second time. You should have your hands empty for the, for the oldest, the way that they're used to it. So I think, yeah, my partner, Reese, he was holding the baby and Violet came in and, um, she just came right over to me like she normally does. And I picked her up like I always do. Um, maybe I didn't pick her up. Maybe somebody put her up cause I wasn't really able to lift a toddler. Um, somebody put her there I think and like you know cuddled with her and then she noticed like there's a baby and she was very young she's still like 20 months old and she being a bilingual household you know she was a bit slow with speaking um so she wasn't really saying much but she like seen the baby and during my pregnancy she had become like obsessive with baby toys so she'd been constantly like breastfeeding these babies and putting blankets on the babies and putting them to sleep and stuff. So she she got a little blanket that was right there and she put it on the baby. And then um, she didn't really fuss around with it too much. She was just like, there is a baby. Um I think it took until maybe Ebony was really like nine months old before they started kind of connecting as siblings more than just like beings in the same household. Um, for some reason, I had this expectation that it would be different, but I think because of their age gap, I was comparing it to like the age gap of me and my own siblings, which was, you'd be much more aware when you're two or three, um, but she was still like just gone one and a half. And um, and then, like normal, she, I actually, I went to breastfeed the baby to just kind of show her that that's what we do now and she was like that's what I do so she went for the other one and I knew that tandem feeding was something that was going to happen because well I hadn't I hadn't weaned I was honest I was too stressed out in my pregnancy to add the effort of, of weaning my big as well you know so I was like all right I'm going to be th- I it was not part of my plan ever I used to think tandem feeding was a bit uncomfortable. I don't know, just like two breasts at the same time. I was like, hmm, I'm not sure about that. But um, that's what happened for us. That was the natural flow. And um, and then I had my first dual feed with both of them. And like in a fairy tale, they held hands and it was, it was, everybody was just kind of quiet and it was lovely. Because we had the home birth, of course, the doctor has to do hip checks. So I think it was That that morning after the baby was born at nine at night, we went to the doctor to do the hip checking, um, which was all normal. We did that with my first as well, actually, because I self-discharged from the hospital. So we were used to this. And also because it was I heard that second babies are you have more after pains. I was having intense after pains for a good week. And I think I was possibly even like borderline overdosing on Panadol because it was that bad. I was just taking them every four hours, no matter what. Um, And then my midwife said, so, yeah, you can kind of take them like every four hours if you only take them for 12 hours at a time. But in an entire 24 hour period, you should only really take like a maximum of six or four doses or something like that. So I was supposed to kind of take them a little bit more spaced out, but it was um yeah the after pains were after pains were rough if I if I'm honest, um but I knew that they mm. were being helpful so there was at least some solace in that. Um my mom's own tip okay. was if you're breastfeeding um and you're having you know these afterpains pains and cramping while while breastfeeding, you know, like you're there, you finally latch the baby on, and you, you finally got it the latch right, and then you have this deep pain <laughs> because it's working, right? She said to go for a pee beforehand, and that's what I always did, and that really helped. Yeah, she said that that was like the trick for her, and it was the trick for me too, even though we had very different pregnancies and births. Um, so that helped me, and um, after yeah, basically we just. And then we were also in like a lockdown at this point as so well. This was January 2021. So we were in another lockdown and um, we all just stayed at home. And it was it was different than the first time with the 40 days care, you know, because I had my partner. So my mum kind of stepped out of the care role a little bit more, but she was still, you know, people were bringing food and social distancing at the gate. And somebody brought us like five litres of potato and leek soup. You know, our neighbours like really chipped in yeah it was amazing but like that's the thing they weren't just cooking for myself and my partner and our kids they were cooking for my mom my stepdad and her two children and my and one of my stepsisters who was you know still coming and going because she was um the youngest um and it my mom's friend also did that for my first child or she organized a group to make food for us so we didn't have to cook for like two or three weeks at least um so yeah (laughs) i blessed with support from everywhere and I didn't say no or at any point I never thought I'm independent you know I just said yes help me please <laughs> this is normal this is right um so that's how I became a mother too.
1: was wasn't that such a lovely episode um I'm sorry that the sound quality wasn't wonderful but you can still definitely hear everything that Charda said it's just a beautiful story so if you would like to share your story you're more than welcome to you can get in touch over the website irlandsbirthstories.ie. click on the share your story tab fill out a few details and I'll get back to you as soon as possible there is a significant waiting list if I could I would do two episodes a week to bring all these conversations forward but it's just not possible at the moment. Maybe at the end of the year, i would be able to do that. Do get in touch if you'd like to share your story though, as I said, or if you have any ideas or comments to share, work away. And as always, if you could pop over to any of the platforms that you listen to podcast on, subscribe, rate, review, let me know what you think. Have a good week and I will chat to you on Monday.